0: This is No Ordinary Wednesday, it's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving markets shaping the economy and also changing the game. I'm Jeremy Mags, and a very warm welcome. Now August is Women's Month in South Africa. It's a reminder of the urgent need to address the gender inequalities in our society. And one of these is the underrepresentation of women in the field of technology. So, to get a taste of the potential that we could unleash by empowering more women to pursue careers in tech, we've assembled a stellar all-female cast of technology experts. The idea for today's conversation was sparked by another podcast that Investec published last week with the South African Chief Executive Officer of NASPERS, Puti Mahinyeli Dabgenwa. She had this to say about the urgent need to get more women into science, technology, engineering and mathematics, the so-called STEM careers. In the tech sector specifically, women are highly underrepresented. In fact, PwC found that women currently hold just one-fifth of tech-related jobs of the top 10 global tech companies in the world relative to men who have around 80% of the jobs. You can listen to the Full Focus Talks podcast with Ms. Mahanyeli Dabganwa and Investec Chief Executive Officer Fani Titi on Investec Focus Radio. So today we're going to ask Shabana Teva, the IT head of Investec Specialist Bank, what can be done to bring more women into tech-related roles. Then Nikita Sokopo of Investec Private Capital will give us an overview of South Africa's exciting tech startup scene. This comes on the back of the recent news that South Africa has just got its first so-called unicorn, an educational technology startup with a valuation exceeding $1 billion. Now, alongside educational technology or edtech. One of the most talked about new industries here in South Africa is fintech. What is that? Well, financial technology, which is changing the way that we bank. And believe it or not, some South African financial institutions, Investec among them, are actively encouraging fintech companies to create new applications that use the bank's data in novel ways. Our final guest will be Investec's Devina Maharaj, who will explain the phenomenon known as open banking in this week's Burning Question. But first, we welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday, Shabana Teva, who's the IT head of Investec Specialist Bank. Shabana, a very warm welcome to you. I want to start with this. There's a new World Bank report. It's entitled The Equality Equation, essentially about the need to advance the participation of women in so-called STEM careers. It's an area where women are globally underrepresented you would obviously agree with that assessment, particularly as it pertains to South Africa.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. Um, It's great to be chatting to you today on such a special topic. And I absolutely agree with the report.
0: So if there is an issue here, why are women in this country particularly not going into the IT space? Why are they not following a science path?
1: I like to describe the gender parity concerns in technology space on two fronts. The first one being the systemic concerns, and there are many elements to the systemic concerns. There's the cultural beliefs that's at home, there's the stereotypes, there's the social influence, there's the gender bias. Basically, perceptions of sciences are masculine, are pre-built basically into women, which causes this kind of leak in the women talent pipeline, as they call it. You know, there's an industry expectation that has been created over a really long period of time that sciences are kind of for men and technology are boys' toys. But women's STEM abilities are often underestimated in the stereotypical kind of thinking. The second piece is the workplace, specifically the workplace concerns. And I think there's a lot of research and statistics that actually show that some of the reasons that women actually swap out careers when they do step into STEM. And it's particularly because of the lack of mentorship, female role models, you know, gender bias in the workplace. And sometimes it actually you, you feel a bit like an outlier in a very male dominated
0: environment. Don't you find it extraordinary that in 2021, we haven't overcome those systemic issues?
1: Yes, I think it's been, you know, over time that this tradition or this has become a traditional way of thinking. I think there are mechanisms, definitely mechanisms put in place in order to be able to overcome some of this traditional thinking. There's many approaches that have been used by different parts of organizations or the industry itself to try and make sure that this parity no longer exists.
0: So in your opinion, then, what do you believe can be done to advance the participation of women in STEM?
1: Look, I certainly agree that we need to boost the intent of the take-up much more. And I think it's about pushing away some of the bias and the stereotypes that occurs in the system that has been traditionally put there. I would like to refer to something that I personally call the three E's. And the first E is exposure. And exposure is particularly about sparking interest and curiosity. It's about creating the hunger or knowledge for technology or sciences specifically. And there's many ways to do that, to create the exposure for women or for girls particularly. And, you know, through extracurricular activities, literacy in programmable robots, as an example, coding camps and and many other activities that, that they are. But also to give them opportunity to solve some of the real world problems. So basically a female uh, entrepreneurship kind of model to expose them much more. And the second E that, that I like to call out is excitement. You know, it's got to be fun and you've got to create enthusiasm. So being a technologist myself, I can certainly say that technology specifically is a very exciting space to be right now because everyone is into digital transformation. And the third E that I would call out is encouragement, and that's to focus on building confidence. And I think this is the most important one for me. It's the biggest enabler. This role model and mentorship system is so critical to build confidence. You know, and the power of storytelling of our rock star women in, you know, technology careers and sharing their journey is so amazing. And, you know, it creates aspiration for women who's thinking about, you know, deciding what to take up as tertiary paths. You know, and we also go through so many experiences and bias and stereotypes that may dampen our outlook and our confidence. So this is about building them up. We certainly may be in scenarios where. We will be an outlier or we'll be the first to do something, but we need to be brave enough to kind of take the leap and set the path for others. And I think the beauty around storytelling is the fact that we live in a digital age. So this medium is much easier and our reach is much more powerful and far wider than we've had before. I mean, these three E's all, in my mind, help rebalance this equality equation if we get it right.
0: There's a long list that you've just mentioned there. I would suggest to you that while building confidence is important, the starting point probably is to push away that inherent bias that you referred to at the beginning.
1: Agreed. Absolutely. They all encourage moving away or pushing away the bias and the stereotypes that has actually you know, built the system the way it is right now.
0: So, as you say, there's a lot that society can do. It is a long list and it's a long road to hoe, but uh, corporates also have a big role to play. And in that respect, and uh, Shabana, I'm going to come back to you in just a moment, but I do at this point want to play another clip from our podcast with Naspers' Puti Mahanyele Dabengwa. I believe that achieving gender parity means more than simply opening doors for junior women in your organization. It also means looking beyond the confines of your own company. What impact are you having on the broader society? This is the starting point. So, Shabana, back to you then. Let's bring it in-house if we can. What practical steps is Investec taking to grow the number of women in the IT space, I guess, inside the organization, but also externally?
1: Look, from an investor perspective, we're doing many things. And you know, we don't have the time to be able to talk about every single thing that we are doing. But I'll start off with the internal side and I'll only talk about one aspect that I think is very significant or highly important. We are trying to promote and foster a culture of inclusiveness. And I think it's the fundamental shift that needs to happen in every organization. You know, as as technologists or women in the technology space, it's you know, we can easily feel intimidated or an outlier in such a male-dominated environment. So actually, you know, an inclusive culture is about making it easy for women in technology to be their authentic selves. And women will thrive if it feels easy to be me. You know, we must feel like we belong. You know, our individuality should be nurtured and our growth should be invested in. And then that's kind of what we're doing. But I think there's also a key aspect around measuring the lived experience of women in the technology space and, you know, to determine whether we are actually progressing or not. It kind of helps with the retention of women in technology so that they don't swap out their careers. And then, you know, the safety in the system that's created kind of empowers women to show up and take up their voice despite the underrepresentation of women in the tech space itself. On the external side, again, I'll only talk about one thing that I want to put forward. And it's something that I call Inspire. Basically, it's just celebrating our women in the technology space by sharing their journeys to others and showcase the possibilities of what you can become. You know, it creates aspiration for others. It helps with the systemic challenges that we currently experience in the system. You know, this in kind of encouragement and this, it creates a positive influence on the self-efficacy beliefs. The role models that we create in young women help with the imposter syndrome that some of them may sit with.
0: I want to put a final question to you, and I want to refer to the phrase that you've just used, becoming your authentic self. As a result of that or leading on from that, Shabana, what unique attributes do women bring to the IT table?
1: You know, I'm sitting and I'm smiling at that question because I think you and I would agree that from a gender perspective, women are truly wired differently. I like to use the word we possess innumerable distinct qualities. We are intelligent. We are the warrior. We are the peacemaker. uh, We show compassion. We show empathy amongst everything else. And I think specifically in the tech industry, empathy is undervalued. And a lot of research actually shows that leading in this new normal of COVID and beyond actually requires leading with empathy more than ever before. It's something that I believe that women actually have an upper hand on because it's innate in who we are. You know, and and empathy fuels productivity in teams. And I think they would, you know, women in the technology space, if the representation is right, would bring a new meaning to high tech, high touch our products will be well-rounded and then become a better fit for the market. Yeah, that's kind of my view around that.
0: I think it's a very valuable and an important and a very empathetic view, if I might say. Shabana Teba, thank you very much indeed, the IT head of Investec Specialist Bank. Thank you for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thanks, Jeremy. In just a moment, I'm going to talk to Investec Private Capital's Nikita Sokopo about how the pandemic has driven a flurry of interest in the South African tech startup landscape. But first, a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please give us a rating. On now to Nikita Sokolpo. Now, while South Africa has its fair share of wild animals, there are only six unicorns on the entire continent. What am I talking about? Well, unicorns are generally tech companies with valuations above one billion US dollars. There are only 700 globally. As of last month, South Africa is now able to claim its first one, the e-learning platform GoOne that gives customers access to the world's largest learning and development library from any web-enabled device. Nikita, a very warm welcome. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. So, Nikita, we know that EdTech is making waves here in South Africa, but from your perspective, what other tech spaces are starting to see growth?
2: I think the first one is fintech. Of course, as a bank, we see a lot of companies in the fintech space. These are financial technology businesses that seek to improve the delivery of financial services such as lending or transactional banking or even payments. An example of a company in this space is Yoko. So Yoko primarily provides mobile point of sale solutions to offline businesses. They provide a solution for small businesses to transform their smartphone into a card payment terminal which can be incredibly useful for small businesses with no big IT infrastructure. Of course, there are a host of other fintechs, uh, you know, in the payments and point of sale, as well as in the lending space. But what an exciting space with a lot of potential for growth is the reg tech or regulation technology space. And this is made up of companies that provide new technology to enhance or manage regulatory processes. You'll have seen in a lot of industries regulations become more and more prominent. And what reg tech does is they enable companies to make it easier to operate in these highly regulated environments. To use an example, you know, the industry in which I operate, which is banking, there's a need for the technological enablement of open banking, which there will be a lot of regulation up and coming. So I'll use this as an example. You will hear some of the details around open banking a bit later from Davina Maharaj, Program Head of Investing Business Online and API Banking. But I will speak about one exciting reg tech player called TrueID. Once open banking is in effect, somebody has to step in to ensure that financial data is accessed and is usable and it's accessed and usable in a secure manner. So this is where True ID comes in. TrueID provides a solution to enable open finance by enabling financial service providers to access consumer financial data directly from the banks. This will be a very regulated environment and True ID will work you know, with the regulators to ensure that they have a secure consent-driven platform and really leaves control with the consumer and enables the consumer to provide their data directly to the service provider. So these are the two interesting, you know, highly exciting spaces for tech and red tech.
0: So Nikita, what you've done is explained what the vistas of opportunity are. What I wonder then is making South Africa so attractive to investors in this particular space. That's
2: an interesting one, Jeremy. I think as markets across the globe, have began to reopen and economic activity has slowly begun to normalize you know towards the tail end of 2020 i think emerging markets are on the path to recovery and i think investors are seeing this investors are looking for an angle to diversify risk to invest in innovative and dynamic sectors and emerging markets provides this and they do so at attractive valuations so you've seen investors across the globe looking to increase their exposure to emerging market economies That speaks to, you know, emerging markets in general. But I think what's quite interesting is why it's South Africa specifically. And this has to do with the startup infrastructure in South Africa. In the last number of years, we've seen an increase in the number of incubator programs run by a number of corporates. And what they do is they really accelerate tech startups. And in so doing, a lot more funding rounds have closed. And it generally becomes a self-fulfilling cycle. And then you have the situation where offshore investors Look at this, and they gain confidence. As more and more funding rounds close, the overall sentiment in the sector in South Africa, I think, improves.
0: So what you've also told us is that there is, and I'm I'm trying to find uh, the right metaphor here, let's say there's a new animal that's been added to the big five. But what about going forward, having given us a good sense of what the landscape looks like? So-called sunicorns. First time I've ever heard that expression. Are we seeing any on the horizon?
2: I think so. I think unicorn is quite an interesting expression. It generally stems from a soon-to-be unicorn, and, and I think there are a lot of them, but they're difficult to spot because you, know, you, you don't want to be seen to be speculative in this environment. So you really want to place it on valuations. I think an eminent one in South Africa is a fintech company called Jumo, and they're soon-to-be-a-unicorn just on valuation alone. But outside of that, I think the environment in which they operate is quite an exciting one. You know, I am biased because I am a banker. What Jumo is, they've built a mobile money marketplace for individuals and small businesses. And what they do is they enable these individuals and small businesses to access lending products. And these will enable entrepreneurs to, you know, access these loans and asset finance directly from banks to enable them to really grow their business. They're quite unique though, in the sense that they use artificial intelligence, powered technology. And then those technologies connect banks, traditionally inaccessible consumers, directly. Um, you know, and that really opens up the market for banks. Th- there's another one, another Sunicorn, in my opinion, which I think is quite exciting, is a small woman-led company called Sweep South. Um, they provide an online marketplace for the booking of on-demand cleaning services. I think this one's quite an exciting one because we've seen a lot of on-demand services making the global unicorns list in the past and quite recently, and this makes this one quite topical and on trend.
0: And we'll certainly watch both of those with a great deal of interest. Nikita Sokopo, thank you very much for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday.
2: Thank you for having me, Jeremy.
0: And now on No Ordinary Wednesday, time for our regular burning question. In every episode of No Ordinary Wednesday, we pick a question about the world of money that has been on our listeners' minds, and we do our very best to answer it. If you've got a question, I invite you to go to investec.com forward slash now. That's investec.com forward slash now and share your problem, your conundrum with us. Now, banks are not generally associated with openness and transparency, but this is changing rapidly with the advent of a concept called open banking, which involves financial institutions providing third parties with secure access to client data so they can design personalised financial products and services. Today's question comes from a listener who is concerned about the privacy aspect of open banking. Said the listener, who unsurprisingly wishes to remain anonymous, very simply, will my financial data be safe? So Davina Maharaj, Program Head of Investec Business Online and API Banking SA, before I ask you that question about financial data, maybe just explain to our audience on No Ordinary Wednesday exactly what we mean by open banking and is it going to revolutionize things?
3: So open banking really is all about enabling the sharing of information securely with clients and or third parties, but in a very standard format. I mean, historically, it's been hard to innovate in the financial sector because banks and financial services companies, as you know, accumulated decades worth of data. And it was really, really hard for fintech companies to access this. I think this is now changing. The market is opening up to companies and technologists who can use this data to build tools and drive new business ventures. And this really translates into huge economic growth. I think open banking just for everyone's context, has its roots in the UK, where around in 2016, the Competition Authority ordered the largest banks in the UK to allow licensed startups direct access to their data. And this was done specifically in an effort to stimulate innovation in financial services and reduce the barriers of entry, I think, to new startup businesses looking for access to banking tools and assets.
0: So a great and important opportunity for fintechs then in the ecosystem. What, are, what about potential and scale? In other words, where is all of this heading?
3: So I think open banking has a huge part to play, I think, in driving economies forward. And I'm certainly super excited about it in terms of the role of banks and especially around the collaboration of some of our big players in the banking sector around how we mobilize to make sure that we drive open banking in South Africa so that it kind of moves the economy um, in the right direction. I think what we're seeing is that in order for small businesses and startups to get access to financial solutions they need the support of financial solutions in terms of the tools and technology that enables them with that access and i think the impact here could be massive in terms of stimulating innovation giving traditionally people who never had access to some of the big tech assets that banks have access to payments services, which have been traditionally regulated environments, you seeing a lot of disruption in that sector as it stands. I think open banking as a whole is going to revolutionize, I think, the way we do banking and specifically, I think, as individuals, the way we manage our money and the way we have access to our money and grow our
0: wealth. But it does beg the question, and back to our burning question of the podcast, what about data safety?
3: done correctly, open banking should facilitate the sharing of clients' data in a very safe and secure way. And if I had to, from a technical point of view, it shouldn't be any less safe than what you currently experience on an online banking or a mobile app platform. If done correctly, I think what we really need to make sure is is that clients understand that open banking does not facilitate the sharing of data without your client consent. So there are two main principles of open banking. One is data is only shared with clients through explicit consent from the client, and they're also shared within strict information security protocols via APIs, et cetera, that really is regulated and governed by information security standards within the financial services sector. So from a security perspective, I definitely think people shouldn't be worried. There's a lot of regulation, both stemming from the UK open banking PSD2 regulations, but as well, I think all countries now are looking at new ways to regulate open banking and make it safe and secure.
0: And just a final question then, and in many ways, a subset of open banking. You're leading a project at Investec around one aspect called programmable banking. Explain that to me simply.
3: So simply, I think programmable banking is firstly a recognition from us as a bank that every client really has an understanding of their own business needs and their own lived reality. And for us as a bank to think that we can produce all the products and services at our fingertips that's going to meet the needs of our clients, I think is a bit outdated. With the advancement of technology and I think open banking now, we need to recognize that as a bank, we can leverage third parties to really create new and innovative solutions for our clients and partner with different fintechs, but also that our clients know their businesses best. And I think people have been striving to create a a segment of one or be able to service their clients in a very unique, and customizable way. I think that's what programmable banking offers. We've taken the the route that programmable banking has two parts. One is it allows businesses to have access to an account that you can code different rules on. And you could basically allow your account to do things like lock your card swipes down to only happen between 8 and 5 on a specific day or only happen at specific merchants. That's the first part where you have programmable access to your card account. And then the second part is direct bank integration via APIs. And that has two parts. One is as a client, you are able to not have to log in to InvestTech, download an Excel spreadsheet with your statement history, you can directly connect your bank system now into your client system. And then the second part is, hopefully, at some later stage, be able to access a lot of our functionality so that our clients can pass them on to third parties and even make use of them for their own client products.
0: Can you give me a sense of timeline?
3: We are hoping to launch our programmable offering for businesses within the next month. And we already have about 10 clients who are currently in our beta phase, live with programmable banking on their cards accounts, as well as API integration.
0: And how much training is going to be involved for the clients?
3: So the idea here is that... Technology democratizes, and we have to make this available to anybody within the organization. For now, programmable banking is very much directed to the software developers within your businesses who will need to code some of these applications in. But we are currently working in beta phase about how do we make programmable banking available to everyone. And I think that is going to be the start of something truly exciting. And we're really excited to see what that's going to look like over the next 12 months.
0: right. So Davina, we've discussed the timeline then, but right now as we speak, practically, is anyone using this? Where do we stand with this right now?
3: I think practically, we have some significantly large clients that are using programmable banking, both from a programmable card account and an API perspective. We have one of South Africa's significant players in the grocery platform e-commerce segment that basically is using programmable accounts and programmable cards to create a fraud and recon management system operationally for their business. And we have two or three large asset management and banking companies that are using it to run staff expense programs with programmable cards where they've given all of their staff members programmable cards and integrated that that directly into a spending app that has enabled real benefit in the company where they don't have to spend 10 days reconciling staff expenses anymore. It all just filters back into a recon system that does it automatically.
0: That is a glimpse into the future of banking. Davina Maharaj, Program Head, Investec Business Online. Thank you very much for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. And so ends episode seven of No Ordinary Wednesday. Do join us again on the 1st of September as we continue our discussion on the business and financial trends that are shaping the world. And it will be a cracking lineup once again. So if you haven't yet subscribed, time to search for Investec, Focus Radio SA, wherever you get your podcasts, and please hit that subscribe button. Until next time, thank you for listening. I'm Jeremy Mags. Goodbye to you. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.